0: Okay, hello and welcome to the Clipping Chains podcast from clippingchains.com, where we are funding the adventurous life. This is your host, Chad Andrews. And hi, how are you? Okay, today on episode 61, I'm very pleased to welcome Heather Larson, pro slackliner. And climber, and I'll say, lover of southern Utah's desert heat. We talked a lot about this offline. She likes camping when it's like 100 degrees and pedaling up rivers upstream and climbing in 80 degree heat in the sun. I don't understand it, but hey, she's doing something right. (laughs) Um, What is probably less known about Heather is that following humble beginnings, and we'll talk a lot about this. She graduated at the height of the Great Recession with a double major in finance and economics. In the intervening years, she struggled greatly to find work in her field, even competing for bank teller jobs with 20-year finance veterans. She turned out west, and she found work in seasonal park service positions, growing more and more fond of the outdoors, as so many of us have, where she eventually discovered climbing and then slacklining. And she got real good at the latter real fast, becoming elite and eventually professional. And here's what I like about Heather's story. She could have easily fallen into a mindset of defeat. So many people have come out of college and struggled to find work. And it's easy just to cross your arms and believe that the world is against you, right? But with persistence, she was eventually able to secure a career in financial reporting, enabling her preferred lifestyle balance of elite outdoor adventure and self-made financial security. I love it. Heather is super easy to talk to. She was fun to converse with online and offline, and I think you'll hear that here today. So check her out. I've got some links in the show notes where you can find more about Heather. She actually takes a lot of really cool photos herself on her Instagram page. So go check that out. Okay, let's get into it with Heather Larson. Heather welcome to the show glad to have you
1: yeah good to be here
0: (laughs) so if people know your name it's probably from the world of professional slacklining and it's a world I know nothing about to be honest with you or very little (laughs) (laughs) so tell me a bit about your career I guess if you want to use that word because there's this whole other side of you I find very fascinating and we're going to talk a lot about today that's probably not well known but let's talk about what is known
1: yeah absolutely um I actually got into slacklining through climbing. I had some friends I went on a climbing trip with, and one of them was a slackliner. We took a rest day from climbing and put up a highline, and that was kind of the beginning of it all for me. Uh, I got really inspired by what I saw, and I just kind of wanted, wanted to get better, wanted to experience that for myself, so I was pretty motivated after that.
0: And so like a Highline's like, I mean, just for people who have no clue, and, I'm, and maybe me too, is that like actually, um, you know, what, what makes something a Highline, I guess?
1: Oh, uh, that's debatable amongst <laughs> <it> was. The, <laughs> the entire Slackline community. For me, it's like, if I have to leash in, it's a Highline. Okay. Uh, you know, people talk about like midlines or, or whatever. To me, if, if there's a death factor fall... And you have to wear a harness and you can fall safely and cleanly in your harness in the middle of the line which is going to be like the loosest part of the Mm -hmm. line uh that to me is considered a high line
0: okay and so that's what you did straight off like your first go
1: first go was a high line i didn't you know take steps i actually had a friend hold my hand from the anchor while i kind of stood up on it and then after a while i just kind of rolled out we have a device called a hangover. At the time it was called a skyrolian, And <laughs> you just kind of clip into the line and roll across kind of like a zip line, but you have to do a little bit more work.
0: Okay. I definitely would not have done that my first go- you didn't like start in the park like a foot off the ground like all the you know kids at college or whatever.
1: No, you know, I had <laughs> seen I had <laughs> seen slag lining in the park like that before and I was just like not drawn to it at all. I think you know, being out in the wilderness on a cliff edge, like that spoke to me more. It made me see that there was more possible with the sport, you know, rather than just like being a dirtbag, hanging out in the park. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, not that there's anything wrong with that, but uh, it just didn't draw me in the same way that highlining did.
0: I mean, I agree. I mean, I went to school in like Western North Carolina, you know, I can always remember like at universities, there's You know, it's like the same kids kicking around a hacky sack. Also Mm -hmm. have like a slack line up between two trees, and like totally. And maybe a uh, what? What do people lay in hammocks or something? So it's like (laughs) I have this very um, terribly stereotypical view of it. But what you guys are doing is like uh, next level. You know, you're like I don't know, whatever, stringing up lines between cliffs and all this stuff. And so it's just not a world I've really been associated with. But I know it is tangentially associated with climbing. So I guess Mm -hmm. it makes sense that you kind of came into that world from there.
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's more normal now for a highliner to not necessarily have experience in climbing because it has developed into so much of its own sport. But when I got into it around, uh, I want to say it was 2010, it was almost guaranteed if you met a highliner, they were also a climber.
0: Hmm. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And you got into this fast. I mean, you didn't just dabble in it for fun on the side. Like You started treating this like a very serious pursuit and became rather elite quickly.
1: Mm-hmm. I, uh, unfortunately I, I kind of put climbing on the back burner for several years, um, just because <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> well, I think about like how strong I could be. Had I, had I not started highlining, like what, what uh-huh. grades would I be climbing? But you know, yeah. So I, I just kind of stopped climbing at that point and fully focused on highlining. And I just wanted to get more and more creative with the sport. So I was one of the first females on the scene. Uh, there were a handful of others when I started that, you know, were pretty inspiring to me. But I wanted to create something new. I started, you know, making up my own tricks, transferring, you know, my yoga practice onto the line, mm-hmm. doing hand, hand balances, arm balances, yoga poses, um, just to kinda challenge myself a little more.
0: I loosely understand the world of a professional climber. How Mm -hmm. similar is that in the slacklining world?
1: We all start to realize how small climbing is. The more you travel for climbing, you know, Mm -hmm. everybody's connected to somebody else. Slacklining is 100 times smaller than what climbing is as far as the community is concerned.
0: So... Oh, easily.
1: Yeah, you are you are connected to everybody, um, which, you know, can be challenging in certain ways, but, you know, it has kept me connected to potential opportunity, you know, different projects. There's always just been, I think, more opportunity probably than climbing because the competition is kind of low when it comes to, you know, commercial work or world record attempts, um, all of that. So I kind of had an in with that, even if I, you know, didn't necessarily consciously pursue it.
0: Yeah, maybe that's a decent segue, unless you want to talk more about, I mean, I'm sure we could s- spend an hour talking about this world of slacklining. But, you know, we talked offline, and I found it fascinating when I asked you, you know, why didn't you just kind of take the dirt bag approach and kind of pursue this more full time or more seriously? You had this quote that was like, well, how is this going to set up Heather?" Speaking about yourself, right, in the third person. Mm -hmm. Um, How is this going to set up Heather for when she's 40? And so you've had this whole other side of yourself that maybe a lot of people don't know about, which is kind of this real-world, kind of real-job version of yourself. Do you want to talk a little bit about what you've been doing all these years? And maybe we'll get back into the root of all that, but kind of what your world looks like from a a job perspective now.
1: Yeah, so I have been working in the financial reporting, uh, world for close to a decade. Mm -hmm. I kind of knew that with the sport of slacklining, I probably could make it, make it enough to, you know, get a van, live out of the van, travel, do the dirtbag thing. But I did want to keep in mind, you know, the future and what I want that to look like for myself. So I work in investment reporting for a company mm-hmm. based out of Colorado, I work uh, remotely in Southern Utah. Hopefully, I can get a little more mobile in the future, but right now it's you know home office, forty hours a week.
0: Yeah. So, what is your what is a day in the life in that world look like for those that have no idea what you know reporting
1: <laughs> what that means? I work for a company that works with wealth managers to help scale their products. So we implement a whole technology system to track investments for ultra high net worth families.
0: So this is like the, the big names of the world we've probably heard of, but I understand you can't talk about that. You can't name these people, but these are very wealthy individuals, right? You're working for. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's very interesting. Is this a a side of your life that you share often or do, do many people know this about you?
1: You know, a lot of people um, don't know this about me. I, I typically don't talk a whole lot about work outside of work. My immediate community knows that I do, you know, something with numbers, but <laughs> it's not, it's not the yeah. easiest thing to explain, so uh, we leave it at that. You know, I live in a community of mostly, you know, climbing and canyoneering guides, mm-hmm. and that's the world for them. So, um, I I don't think my job is like too intriguing to most of them.
0: Okay. Fair enough. I mean, why did you feel this need that you needed to be thinking about yourself for when you're 40, 50, 60, you know, a lot of people, when they kind of fall head over heels for something like for you, it's slacklining, For many people listening to this, it's going to be rock climbing. I don't know. Maybe it's backpacking, whatever. They kind of go all in on that and they're like, we'll figure out the rest later. Mm-hmm. So what was it about you in your background that made you not fully pursue that? Even though, like you said, you could have very easily, you were kind of a big fish in a small pond in a way.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, the reason that I've kind of gone the more professional route um, in the financial world is I grew up kind of in poverty and mm-hmm. I don't have anything to fall back on other than myself. So I learned from a very young age that you know if if you want things to be safe and comfortable and secure, um, that's on you um nobody else
0: yeah, amen. so tell me about the ranch you grew up on
1: <laughs> Well, I was born on a ranch in okay. in Nebraska I we were only there for a couple of years but okay. um, yeah, I was born on a ranch in Nebraska about seventy miles from the nearest town there were I would say about five families on the ranch and, you know, my dad was hunting for food and uh, that's wow. how we were provided for. So, yeah.
0: So you pretty much like grew your own food and hunted your own food and just lived off the land more or less?
1: Pretty much. Yeah. Um, you know, there were trips to town, but they were few and far between. Um, Winters out there pretty rough. Um, I was actually, you know, mostly born in a pickup truck while my dad was plowing the road to get to the hospital. Mostly born.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You finished it up at the hospital? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And so you went on to live like all over the place. You've lived in 14 states I have here in my notes.
1: Mm -hmm. I've lived kind of all over the place. Some of that was in my younger years, you know, growing up. I lived, moved around a lot in the Midwest and then the Southeast. But a lot of my movement has also come after college when I moved out West And I kind of just hopped around and looked for new experiences for a a long time.
0: Yeah, and so prior to this, you know, in college and before, you did not consider yourself outdoorsy at that point, right? I mean, you didn't have that on your radar?
1: Uh, You know, I had the outdoors on my radar, but I didn't know what was possible. I remember even thinking, like, with rock climbing, like, I just had been exposed to very little, you know, even when I was, you know, 21, 22. I thought that if you climbed, you were a professional climber. <laughs> really? we, didn't ha- we, we didn't have climbing gyms. I didn't know any climbers. The only climbing I had ever seen was, you know, on a commercial or something. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I just assumed that if you were climbing, you were, you were a professional.
0: Wow. If it was only that easy. Right. <laughs> and so where was it? You were like, in, is this in Tennessee at the time? I know you eventually went to school there.
1: Yeah, I went to high school and college in West Tennessee um, in a small town right in between Memphis and Nashville.
0: Okay. And so you went there and you got a double major in finance and economics. Yep. Yeah. So you doubled down on the money side of things. Why? What, what was drawing you there?
1: I took a lot of pride in being knowledgeable about things that other people weren't, okay. um, and there is, you know, there's always an easy route in the South to get the MRS degree, as they call it. <laughs> I love this. Um, and you know, get your your ring by spring, and <laughs> and those are.
0: I'd never heard these, by the way. But I grew up in the South, that I'd never heard either of these terms.
1: Yeah, this yeah. Is great. I think it, it it doesn't hurt that I went to, uh, you know, a. Uh, religious universities. That's true. Okay. Uh, kind of drilled into you. So, you know, you, you want to get that engagement ring by spring of your junior <laughs> year so you can get married by your senior year. And then, and then, you know, you got that MRS degree. So and then
0: you can get on with the other stuff.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, I didn't want to go that route. It didn't, there's for sure many things in my world that made me not want to go that route. Um, and I valued not just being um seen as, you know, potential for a wife or a mother mm. and I knew I wanted different things for myself.
0: What did you think you wanted at that point?
1: At that point, you know, again, like not being exposed to a whole lot, I just I had these dreams of going to live in a big city and, you know, being a big banking professional of some sort. Didn't have the direct path lined out, but you know, I played Played the game by all the rules that I was told, you know, get the degree, you know, finance, like there's always going to be jobs. People are always going to need mm. money managed. And so I, I really focused on making things kind of a sure thing for myself and feeling secure. And I had totally envisioned this life in the corporate world.
0: Hmm. Well, and it didn't turn out that way. It it kind of of did. In in a roundabout way, you eventually made your way back to that world. Now you live in a very small town in southern Utah. You don't live in New York City. You don't work on Wall Street. You graduated in 2008, right?
1: Yeah, kind of the worst time.
0: Yeah, a lot was going on. This was the height of the financial crisis. uh, Definitely the biggest recession any of us have seen in our life. Actually, would say anyone listening to this has seen because the only thing bigger Mm -hmm. was the Depression. You had trouble finding work, I think it's fair to say.
1: I had an extreme amount of trouble finding work. I couldn't even get an interview as a bank teller, which, you know, you you don't even need a degree for, but I was competing with people who had been in the industry for, you know, several decades uh, just to try to get my foot in the door. Mm. Um, I was very, very discouraged, but it ended up being... Kind of a good thing for me. It's what allowed me to move out west, and that's something I probably wouldn't have ever considered had my plans worked out the way that I wanted them to.
0: So, what were you thinking when you moved out west? Like, were you just like, "I'm done with this financial world. I just wasted all this time with two degrees."
1: I I remember just being at a super emotional low and feeling so discouraged. I started looking for unique opportunities that might also be geared toward a little bit of the finance world. And I found a job online uh, working for the North Rim at the Grand Canyon, and it was doing human resources and payroll. So since payroll was in there, I was like, okay, it's somewhat related. I'll be able to, you know, I'll be able to explain that in job interviews. Sure, sure. Um yeah, so I, I ended up moving out to the North Rim of the Grand Canyon, which is an extremely isolated location. Super
0: remote for people who haven't been.
1: Yeah, it's about uh, four hours from anything. Yeah. Well, only two hours from us, but we're we're not really close to anything either. So True. Yeah, so I ended up going out there and really falling in love with the outdoors at that point. You know, I started trail running. I visited you know, the national parks and national recreation areas that were close by, which, you know, are a lot in They're this region. Yeah, so, for sure. so I just started experiencing a lot more and even being exposed to other people with, you know, what I had considered an alternative lifestyle. I realized, uh, you know, it's not all that bad and you can make things work in in very unique ways. And I was like, all right, I'm going to try to figure out how to do this for myself, but still take care of myself.
0: Okay, so you stayed in HR in—I mean, you weren't there year-round, though. It would be like kind of uh, the Shining kind of vibes out there.
1: Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, it, gets, it gets super snowed in. Uh, the only way in and out is by snowmobile or snow machines, as they say in Alaska.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think people appreciate how different it is from the South Rim.
1: But yeah, the North Rim is all, you know, big ponderosa pine forests.
0: Way higher elevation.
1: Yeah, it's about uh, 1,100 feet higher than the South Rim. So it's totally different vibes. The river is 14 miles away from the Rim. And on the South Rim, it's only nine miles away from the Rim. So just the views even are very different with like the rock spires being a little bit closer. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so you get a totally different vantage point from anywhere on the north side of the the grand
0: canyon and as a total aside i enjoyed a fantastic prickly pear margarita on the view point over
1: there on the uh, Ooh, yeah <laughs> you
0: know what i mean that bet that, that overlook uh-huh. at the lodge it's God, pretty it was great, great. At, yeah at sunset man that hit the spot
1: you cannot beat the sunset out there
0: no you cannot i recommend it for anyone out traveling around go to the north room it's like 10 percent of the visitors of the south Rim. it's a lot quieter but it's out there yeah
1: it's okay. beautiful
0: anyway what happened in your life after the north Rim?
1: I got sucked into the outdoor <laughs> world. Um, I was working seasonal, so I was there for about eight months out of the year for three years. And uh, in my off time, I ended up living in Texas for the first year, which was, you know, maybe not the greatest decision I've ever made. Wait, where were uh, you? I was in Plano, Texas. Plano. just no- Just north of Dallas. But... That is where I started climbing a bit more. So I, I didn't have any friends there. I was living in a hotel that I was also working at. It was part of the resort chain from oh. the North Rim. and I spent all of my free all of my free time at the climbing gym. Hmm.
0: I also yeah. started climbing in Texas. The climbing gym. Oh
1: wow! We have been running around in yeah, circles. Yeah, man. But <laughs> it, it was in
0: Houston, not in Plano. So oh, we, yeah, did, we didn't cross paths there. Yeah. But maybe if you went down to Rymer's Ranch, we might have.
1: Yeah, yeah, I did go down there several times.
0: Yeah, because I lived there. Let's see, twenty ten
1: through twenty twelve ish. Yeah, it would have been the same yeah, time.
0: I'll be wow. damned. And then, then you moved to Golden, and I moved to Denver, right yeah. around that time frame, right? So this is Golden is where you started getting really serious about slacklining. I want to say.
1: Yeah, so I, you know, I was pretty psyched on climbing, and then once slacklining got introduced, I. I did put it on the back burner, but, you know, I was just addicted to, uh, being outside in unique locations and then finding different ways to experience the outdoors and highlining definitely gave me the diversity that I was looking for in, uh, being able to travel, being able to see different parts of the world. And there's definitely a lot of opportunity for me to do that with that sport.
0: And you were kind of in and out of the outdoor industry as well at this time.
1: I was, yeah. So, when I moved to Colorado, I was working at, uh, Bentgate Mountaineering, just, like, a local climbing shop. I lived across the street, so Mm -hmm. it was a really easy commute, and yeah, I worked, worked in that world for quite a while before I got into, uh, the finance world, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. I, you know, I was highlining pretty much exclusively at that point, um, but, you know, selling, selling people climbing gear and ski gear, mm-hmm. really not knowing anything about, like, the mountain life, but <laughs> I made it work.
0: Yeah, and you had some interesting commentary about that, those kind of jobs, you know, where I think a lot of people who want to adventure, love the outdoors, end up working for these companies, mm-hmm. but you're still working a lot. Like, you didn't have, like, a 20-hour job.
1: Right, right. I mean, uh, at the end of the day, like, each business in the outdoor industry is a business and they got to keep running. They got to keep the doors open. They got to keep customers coming in. Um, so yeah, it, it ended up being 40 hours a week there too, and not making a whole lot of money, not really making enough money to even take advantage of the proteals that came with the job. So mm-hmm. um, I started again to get kind of discouraged about where I was and where I wasn't. And <laughs> again, you know, started thinking about where I want to be in the future. And is this setting me up to be, uh, comfortable, comfortable is maybe the wrong word, but at least, you know, not in crisis.
0: What felt like a crisis at that point?
1: Oh, well, you know, not having anything to fall back on Mm -hmm. and feeling, you know, feeling the pressure of like, you know, rents rising, you know, golden started to get really popular and is now like, I probably can't even afford to think about living in Golden (laughs) anymore. Uh, Yeah, so, you know, I kind of saw prices rising. I wasn't able to save anything. Didn't have health insurance. So I was just kind of feeling really, really low. You know, I did the right things. I followed the path and, and things are not working out. I ended up meeting up with a friend from college who worked for this company in Denver that uh, does financial reporting and I actually had seen on her Facebook she was like going to concerts every weekend like in different states and um, (laughs) she was having fun she was traveling she was somehow working full-time and so I just met with her for dinner one night and I was like I don't know how to make it work I don't know what to do because at this point I'm like you know sold out on the outdoor lifestyle but not sure how to make it financially and she ended up hooking me up with an interview with this company and the rest is history as far as that's concerned you know it was a job that allowed me a little bit more balance and security Mm -hmm. Um, and I have been really lucky to work for small companies and work for people who are supportive of um, an outdoor lifestyle and they are, you know, psyched to hear about my adventures. So, um, I've worked for probably four different companies now in investment reporting. Um, but that's an even smaller community than highlining. So, um, Mm, it's, yeah, it's pretty interwoven. So, uh, finding the good people and sticking with them is, has been pretty beneficial for me.
0: Yeah, and another thing I want to talk about, kind of backing up to this, when you were kind of straddling this idea of being a more professional athlete, perhaps, Mm -hmm. you said you didn't have anything to fall back on. What do you mean by that?
1: Yeah, um, you know, I didn't come from money. I think a lot of times, like in the outdoor world, you see a lot of people, you know, living in these $125,000 vans, Mm. able to travel, maybe work part-time, whatever it is. Um, the thought of kind of pursuing that lifestyle essentially stressed me out because I don't have, uh, you know, I don't, I don't come from family money to fall back on. I don't have, you know, a master's degree in anything. So, uh, you know, there's like, I found an industry that supported me and I was, I was you know, feeling like I could progress with and I, I've stuck with it. Yeah. I mean, I come from a family that didn't really have uh, financial knowledge or yeah, like the ability to even save.
0: Yeah. And I, I appreciate that because it's something I've talked about on this podcast before. I've talked about it with guests. There's the outspoken narrative of Go have fun. Go adventure. And it's you know, pushed pretty hard by the outdoor industry. But behind mm-hmm. the scenes are people who either are working very hard, one, working lots of hours. Mm-hmm. Or there are people who don't have to because they come from a position where things are taken care of if they need it. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that time and time again. And, um, yeah. So I, I think it's just worth reiterating. I, I think your, your position is kind of exceptional in that way. Maybe not exceptional. But oftentimes the cream who rise to the top in a lot of these sports have the means to do that.
1: Right. And so, you know, I just had to find the right balance, for lack of a better word. Uh, Balance is key in everything, I think. And I had to find the balance of, like, what is going to look like financial security and what is going to look like living um, a life of adventure and how do I marry those two.
0: Okay. So how's that look for you? I mean, have you been able to carve out something you feel like is balanced or is it still kind of one or the other?
1: I think I'm working on it. I think right now, I, I, it's pretty good. You know, I've got uh, what I would consider a pretty amazing life. And okay. I'm, I'm very happy with what I have been able to do um, in my time in this career, and specifically with the company I work for now. Um, they are very supportive of having balance. But, you know, even in a previous company, I was able to take three weeks off and go to Tasmania and you know there's not a lot of companies that are just like, oh yeah, like you can leave for almost a month, whatever. So, you know, I I have had a lot of support from um even my managers if it wasn't the company, you know, my managers are like, "We'll we'll make it work. We'll figure out a way because this seems like a great opportunity for you."
0: I mean, that's worth its weight in gold. Oh, totally. Yeah, I mean, you you can find a manager like that. I'd <laughs> hang on to him as much as you can. Right. Okay. So yeah, we connected over this common interest in personal finance and things like this. And like I said, I was very surprised once we started chatting. I, I don't know what I thought. I was like, okay, professional athlete, outdoors person. You know, I don't know what we're going to have to talk about in the finance mm-hmm. world, but I'm like, oh wow. Okay. She's kind of like kind of doing this corporate thing in the background, you know, behind the curtain or whatever, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So what are your personal finance goals? What are you excited about? What, what are you kind of looking for in the future?
1: Um, well, I think like, Right now, I am aggressively paying down debt. I'm working to save upwards of 20% of my income uh, so that I am set up for the future. I think, like, something that we forget is, you know, like, more money, more problems type of thing. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, it's like, the more money you make, you justify, like, maybe bigger expenditures. And it's like, all right, like, I don't know how I did this, but like you know, my first few years out of college, I made it off of you know eighteen twenty thousand dollars a year. Yeah. Do I need the biggest, baddest van, or can I save that money? Or you know, do I need a triple rack? Or you know, can <laughs> I get I just by get with some a- friends? Right, right. <laughs> so you know, uh, I try to make decisions that kind of benefit me now and in the future, and. There is kind of a fine line to walk there to figure out exactly what that looks like on a day-to-day basis.
0: But you did buy a van, right?
1: I did buy a van. And
0: you called it a mistake.
1: I did call it a mistake. <laughs> the, the van, uh, it feels like a mistake. I'm uh, curious. Go on. Mostly because I don't have it in my possession right now. <laughs> uh, I have been uh, working with a friend to build this van out. It's been about nine months and I haven't taken it on a trip yet. So uh, it just feels like I'm pouring money into something that doesn't exist. <laughs> so it, it feels stressful, but I'm actually I'm picking it up Thursday of next week. So oh, wow. I will okay. I will have it. I'm gonna go to the creek like first thing, start adventuring a little bit more once I have the van in place and the ability to, you know, tap into Wi-Fi wherever I go.
0: Okay. So yeah, I'm, I'm always curious. Of course, we've talked about the van thing on this podcast a number of times. I've, uh, you know, started many a Google searches, got sticker shock and closed the browser and, mm-hmm. um, just went and looked at my camper out in the garage. But <laughs> so, I mean, is it gone like over budget? Like what makes it feel like a mistake? Did, is it just not, is it only because you don't have it or is it just costing more than you expected?
1: You know, I think, uh, More than anything, it's when I bought it, you know, last year, uh, the vehicle market was out of control. True. And, you know, I I bought this van for what, a new van, same model, the year before, I I think I spent like $14,000 more than the new van the year before, just to secure it. So, you know, that, it just feels like, oh, was that responsible? But then we also didn't know where that industry was headed we didn't know what was going to be available at what time and so it was kind of this mindset of like jump on it while it's at least a little bit within your your means mm-hmm. but I think like for the most part it's that I, I haven't used it and I'm like all right like when's it coming but yeah I've uh I, ha- I booked a, t- a plane ticket to go pick it up and drive it <laughs> home next week so it's pretty exciting
0: Yeah, I mean, because the used car market in 2022 was like the biggest source of inflation. Mm -hmm. It was like 40% or something. I'm quoting off the top of my head, so don't quote me on that. But yeah, that was a tough time to buy a used car.
1: It was tough. But, (laughs) you know, I I am pretty psyched. I I think there's a little bit more excitement now than there was a week ago. Like, the closer I get to having it, (laughs) the less it feels like uh, a money pit. The build itself actually hasn't been too expensive you know, I, I kind of scoured the internet for the components that we put in the van and then, uh, got a a really good friend who's given me a good deal on the build. So, um, I have been pretty lucky on that front.
0: No. Okay, cool. Yeah. Any any cool uh, features you want to mention or is it just kind of standard?
1: Oh, so my favorite thing, uh, and it's more, you know, aesthetic than anything, but, um, I have a friend well I've, you know several friends in the, the desert of southern Utah are artists and I have a friend who is a painter uh, mm. lived, lives down here in virgin Utah I was able to get one of her paintings which is like of some prickly pear cactus blooming she sent me the the file the PDF for that PDF I don't know she sent me a file for it, and <laughs> I, was, I was able to turn that into wallpaper, and so my Ooh. my backsplash for like the kitchen area is actually like a, a good friend's piece of art.
0: Well, maybe we can get some photos for the show notes if you want. Yeah yeah
1: it. it'll, it'll be pretty cool.:
0: Excellent. So why did you end up in Southern Utah? Why did you move from golden other than the cost, or was it just the cost?
1: You know, it wasn't just the cost. I have always always been a small town. Girl, living in a lonely world. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, Got to finish that, I guess.
1: Yeah. Um, so yeah, I've always I've always been a small town girl. Um, even being like close to Denver was stressful for me, and Golden was growing, and I just wasn't feeling it anymore. And I was looking for an opportunity to get out. I worked in the Zion area for. I think, just one summer season early on, and I never really stayed away for too long. I think I, even living in Colorado, I was back in southern Utah every few months. Uh, I stayed connected to the community out here. Yeah, through the course of, of my time in Colorado, just couldn't stay away. This place is kind of like a magnet for me. It's It's where I always came when I was needing some healing or, Mm. you know, some direction, uh, whatever it is. And so I I tried to listen to that, and I find a lot of peace out here. And so, yeah, I moved back to the area about six or seven years ago.
0: Okay. And you own a home now here, right?
1: I do. Um, I got pretty lucky uh, to buy right before things really started going off. Um, I bought my house in 2018 Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, it's, it's simple, but it's got a good location to everything I like to do. You end up driving a lot when you live out here. So it's, you know, it's 30 minutes to Zion, 30 minutes to St. George. So I've got access to, you know, all types of climbing, mountain biking, like you name it, I can get there in, you know, five to 30 minutes.
0: Yeah, and I want to get back to this. I totally derailed us. I want to get back to the personal finance goals, Um, but I want to talk about being a homeowner, especially Mm -hmm. in your unique situation as well. Mm -hmm. But, okay, so what are you thinking about long-term? I mean, like, obviously we talk on this podcast a lot about this idea of early retirement, whether or not Mm -hmm. you should do it, those sort of things. What are your personal thoughts?
1: Um, I, you know, I think it's a beautiful thing to be able to have the choice.
0: Ah beauty.
1: Um, So, you know, whether or not you choose to take early retirement, having the option to do so, I think just gives you even mental freedom. Totally. You know, I think you've even said that you start behaving in your workplace a little differently. You feel more confident in what projects you want to say yes or no to. Mm -hmm. Just having that mindset of this isn't necessary and I can change it at any point and I won't be in a state of need, yeah. I think that can that can really develop a sense of security and freedom that you don't necessarily get if you're stressed about how you're going to pay your bills next month because you got that big van payment.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, are you alluding to that's kind of how you feel now, or
1: uh, no? I don't really feel that way now. Okay. I feel pretty pretty on top of it, but you know, it's easy to slip into that. Like growing up in more of a A financial crisis mode, um, as much as my parents, you know, tried to hide that from us, it was, it was pretty obvious from a young age that we were in a state of of needing help a lot. So it's easy to slip back into that mindset of like, oh, I need to be in a totally different place. I need to be saving more. I need to be...
0: It's hard to break that cycle.
1: It is. It's really hard to break that cycle. Um, But, you know, being organized and responsible in the ways that I have been, you know I feel pretty good about things right now. Owning my home, you know it's it's a small house, it's two bedrooms. I am able to rent my guest room out occasionally, so I tend to do that for a few months out of the year just to bring in a little extra income
0: and this is usually just to friends, right? not just total strangers.
1: Yeah, just a friends um, as of right now. Uh, you know, a lot of people come into the Zion area, you know, whether they're guiding for mm-hmm. the summer or not, like, uh, they'll come in, you know, with their van, they do the van life thing. And sure. by, you know, the end of May, they're miserable because it's so hot. <laughs> Sweaty. Um, and they're like, Oh, I thought I could do it. Like I need a place to live. So by then I usually have connected with a few people and, uh, I'm like, all right, I got a room and I got, you know, four months for you if you want it. So it's nice to have that option. You know, I don't necessarily need the extra money, but a little extra doesn't ever hurt. Mm -hmm. So, yeah.
0: Well, okay. There's a couple of things I want to ask, actually. You know, my wife and I talk about this all the time. We Mm -hmm. used to say, okay, if we got to this number, we'll feel comfortable. And then you get to that number and you're like, well, maybe if we get to this number, we'll feel better. Or we'll do this when we get to this number. And it seems to be always kicking the goalposts a little further. And it's not really anything we ever thought would happen. But there's obviously something about our need for security, especially more my wife than me. Mm -hmm. Do you ever think about that? Like, is there a number where you would say, hey, now I feel good? Or is it a little more nebulous on what that actually is?
1: I think I could get to a certain number and, you know, maybe not be pursuing things in the same way professionally. Yeah, I think I do value, uh, you know, having goals and having structure in my life as much as it seems like really exciting, you know, to be on the road, travel all the time, have all these wonderful experiences. um, Having structure, I think, is good for a healthy mental state. I'm also reading this book right now about, well, it's about a lot of things, but one of the things it talks about is when we have these goals and then we get what we want, it changes the baseline in our brain hmm. to want something different or want something more. So it's not even just like the culture of America of like, oh, I need more, I need more, I need more. It's uh, actual brain chemistry that like, once you get what you want, it's, it's just like very natural for us to like change to want something else or want something different, something more yeah, that's uh, yeah. an
0: evolutionary response for sure. Right. Yeah. So
1: we are, we are wired for that, and it helps us maintain comfort.
0: Yeah, I mean, it kept us alive when we were out clubbing bison or whatever in loincloth, So <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense. So I guess if you hit some, whatever that number is for you, you don't have to say it. But if you hit that number, what would you do? Would you walk in and give a two-week notice and go on a giant trip? Or would you do something different?
1: You know, I think what I would do as far as my professional life is... I would ask to work, you know, like two or three days a week. Yeah. That seems to be something where I can still be, you know, giving back and being a productive employee while also pursuing things a little bit uh, more serious in uh, my outdoor lifestyle.
0: Is that an option in your field?
1: You know, I think it could be.
0: It's not something you see commonly done, I assume.
1: It's not something you see commonly done, but I, I think specifically the people that I work for would be supportive of that if I got to that point.
0: Yeah, because I used to be pretty convinced, at least in my old role, that there it was either full-time or nothing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, unless you went on your own and became a contractor and had to build up a network of clients and blah, 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 it was going to be hard to work for the kind of organization I work for and be part-time. I bet that's changed a lot since COVID mm-hmm. and with everyone kind of working remotely and hybrid and blah, blah, blah. So, I think they're more accepting of these kind of loose versions of what number of hours you need to work. Uh, I also think that with technology being the way it is, you're going to be there's going to be a lot more people working less hours anyway, one way or the other, which is a whole another can of worms we can be yeah. talking about. So yeah, I think that's going to be a lot more of a possibility for people going forward, whether we like it or not. So
1: right, and I think employers are starting to be more open to the idea. I think I'm in a position of uh, or a good position with the company I'm in because it, you know, it's small, it's flexible and I've worked with them for a long time. So I think it's like the longer you put into a place, like hopefully they're willing to give back a little bit. Mm -hmm. I know that's not everybody's experience, but like, hopefully you can find something that is supportive of how you want to live your life and we'll work with you on that.
0: Yeah, I've experienced the same. I mean,
1: mm-hmm.
0: anytime I asked for something big, I made sure I'd been around for long enough to ask for that something, mm-hmm. you know? yeah. And, and you have a personal relationship with people and you're not just, like, the new guy mm-hmm. wanting, wanting to take two months off.
1: Exactly. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay. I always say that, um, like, my ideal schedule would be, like, if I have to work full-time, like, working a four-day work week and then having a consecutive 30 days off in addition mm. to, like, my other vacation time. Because uh, I, I worked for a gear shop outside of Zion National Park for a little bit, and we were closed for two months in the winter.
0: Mm. Okay.
1: And the, fir- the first month was always, like, amazing. You know, you can plan, like, a big trip, like, go to a couple of different locations, travel abroad. Um, but I usually, by the second month, I was like, all right, like, what am I going to do for another month? <laughs> so... I, I think, like, having, like, a solid month off somewhere in the year to, like, really plan something big uh, would be really ideal.
0: You say you're trying to save more money, do this sort of that. What are you thinking about? How are you employing it to, I don't know, build wealth, I guess?
1: Right now, like, my main, my main form of saving and, and uh, setting myself up for the future is, you know, like, retirement fund with work, putting away... Okay you know a little bit well definitely a little bit more than you know what the employer matches trying to be responsible with that but then also um i'm trying to set myself up to invest more in real estate and
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. and do like uh some more rentals so right now you know just renting my second room out it's been helpful here and there uh ideally you know this house is a, a great location it's a good size for a few people I would love to turn the house that I'm currently in into a full-time rental um, and then start investing in other properties where I could also turn those into rentals. So not really looking to like flip or, you know, do the, the whole like just buying a bunch of different things and then turning around to sell them for profit. I I want to be of benefit to the local community and provide something that's needed um, and In this specific area, like housing, is not easy to find, uh, especially for renters. No. So, I definitely want to be able to give back in that way, and you know that'll also help me grow my uh, grow my portfolio of savings and and get to those goals of, you know, I I do have a goal of retiring early, but I don't know, you know, how early that's going to look for me.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, you should like the episode I'm going to release on Monday, which for people that are hearing this now, should be in your feed by the time this goes live, uh, with Brent Bargon, who has done exactly what you're talking about several times. He's kind of lived in a house, slowly turned it into a rental, bought another one, did it again, Mm -hmm. and has repeated that process three times and to great success. Now, he'll admit that he did it in very low interest rate environment. And we already talked, you got a great rate on this house, Mm -hmm. but that would not be the case today
1: right i mean timing is everything with a lot of things in i mean in most markets you got to get in at the right time you got to get out at the right time right so
0: which uh, we only know in hindsight of course but
1: right but you can you can hope to make you know educated guesses and if you have an opportunity you know i did have to refinance my house at one point because i'm like all right like i could save three hundred dollars a month by refinancing so Mm. uh Paying attention to that and not just letting things sit because you have it in place. And that's hard, you know, staying informed on current market trends is, it's a little bit of extra work, um, but tends to be worth it in, in the long run.
0: How's it been for you as a homeowner? It's very common, especially in the fire world, to kind of poo-poo being a homeowner. It's not on, on a spreadsheet, the best investment, yada, 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 uh, There are opportunity costs. What do you think?
1: Um, I think so far, being a homeowner has given me some peace of mind, especially during COVID, during you know, this huge inflation of real estate. I've had so many friends locally get told, you know, we're going to turn this into an Airbnb. You've got 30 days to find something else. Hmm. And yeah. that happens to people way more often than is comfortable for me. So the fact that I have control over that in my own life has been really helpful. I think in general, like when I, buying, when I bought up the equity in my home faster than I expected, quite well, a bit yeah. faster than I expected. <laughs> yeah. um, so, you know, it's like I did get in at the right time. Um, I am able to use the purchasing power of home equity for other things, um, which I think A lot of people in the real estate world take advantage of opportunities with, you know, equity in their homes to purchase other properties, to pay down higher interest properties, um, and to further that portfolio. So I think, you know, everybody has a different route to take. You just have to find what works for you. And I think, like, real estate for me is something that I can wrap my mind around. It's not just a concept. There's, you know, tangible assets. So that's something that I think like mentally I can, I can wrap my mind around so I can like pursue it a little bit more confidently.
0: Yeah. I mean, it tends to be two schools of thought. It's usually you're either into stock market and that sort of thing, or you're into real estate and you're Mm -hmm. more comfortable with one or the other. Obviously people who listen to this will know we, we chose the former and have never really dabbled in the latter I I do want to ask you a little bit, you mentioned that folks, and and it's very true, people use their equity as a source of credit towards doing other things with their home or purchasing additional properties. How do you feel about using leverage like that? Because you're kind of doubling down. Do you feel like that puts you at risk?
1: You know, it kind of depends. You definitely want to make sure you don't have an adjustable rate on your... your home equity uh, if you do take out a loan on that anything is a risk at the end of the day so yeah what are you willing to risk in my case like if i were to buy another property now and turn my current home into a rental it just depends on what your mortgage payment is versus what your income can be on that property uh you know really running the numbers so I think right now, like my house, I could probably run it out for close to double with the mortgages. Mm. So that doesn't seem like too much of a risk. It seems like, you know, a, a sure thing every month as long as there's not huge expenses. My house is only, uh, well, it's less than 20 years old. So there's not, there's not things falling apart constantly. So it all depends on the details of the investment. But yeah, at the end of the day, there's there's risks with every decision you make.
0: Sure. But if you went and got another property, you'd have to be paying two mortgages. So you'd certainly want to, yeah, have, I don't know. This is the problem for me personally with real estate. Mm-hmm. I've never been able to, we, you talked about debt pay down. That's the thing I've never been able to get past. I just, mm-hmm. I get kind of like a little squeamish at the idea of having uh, a whole bunch of mortgages. Mm-hmm. It's, it's obviously very common in the real estate world. I'm not saying it's wrong. It, it's it Obviously people have made lots of money that way. But I've always just been like, ah, "Ah that,
1: yeah, I think like even even for me, it feels it feels stressful even to manage so many things, mm-hmm. uh so many moving parts, yeah, it's just kind of whatever speaks to you. I feel like right now and what I see for myself in the future is kind of a balance between the two yeah. again, I mean I've always I'm always gonna go back to balance, <laughs> not putting all my eggs in one basket, but you know, toying around and see, seeing what works is. Hopefully not going to hurt anything.
0: So we have this theme we wanted to hit. You talked about coming from adversity. You talk about growing up. Uh, not a lot of money, a lot of scarcity there. You graduated in the financial crisis. You've talked to at least offline, maybe not perhaps in this recording, about being single with a single income. I don't know. There's always reasons why we can feel discouraged, right? But you've given this a lot of thought. Any other things you want to add there?
1: Coming from adversity... It doesn't have to be an excuse for anything in your life going poorly or not the way you wanted it to go. You can spin situations that present a challenge um, to work for your benefit if you just like take some time, let things play out, think about the moves that you're making, um, and you can still come out ahead.
0: Hmm. All right, then. Well, what are three books you would recommend?
1: Three books I would recommend. Well, I'm reading this book right now. I have not finished, so uh, but so far I would recommend. It's called "The Mountain Is You," okay, by Brianna Weist. It's more of a self help book. It's about you know not self sabotaging. I'm really into that. I I kind of dive deep into the self help books just to find opportunities to grow.
0: Sure, makes yeah. sense. I do too sometimes.
1: Um, another one of my favorite books is "Braiding Sweetgrass." By Robin Kimmerer, hmm. um, it is a book. Um, she's half um, Native American, and so she combines science with native concepts, and then plant life, and like what we can learn from all of those things blended together. Gotcha. Yeah, so that's uh, that book has changed my life. I try to read it once a year. Oh wow! Yeah, it just. It talks so much about relationships of reciprocity and how we can benefit each other in in many different ways in our interactions.
0: fantastic. Okay. Mm -hmm.
1: And then uh, one of my favorites, but also one of the most depressing books, uh, is uh, One Breath Becomes Air.
0: Mm, Yeah, we were just talking about this recently.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Um, I... I cried on an airplane reading that book.
0: I think I did too, (laughs) actually, to be honest with you. It's a very emotional book.
1: It's a very emotional book, but I think it it taps into a lot of things that are good for the heart.
0: Yeah, that was a tough read, but an important read. I thought he Mm -hmm. did a fantastic job considering where his life was at that point.
1: Agreed, yeah.
0: So I would put that on my list as well. Well, Heather, this has been super fun.
1: Yeah, thank you for having
0: me on. Thanks for being here. I want to remind you or let you know for the first time that I write a weekly newsletter that has really become popular in recent months. I put a lot of things in there that aren't deserving of their own post online, such as books I'm reading, various articles as it relates to personal finance or life, sometimes some music, sometimes not, a little bit of everything that keeps you on your toes. It is not just a notification of new posts. You don't need that. I want to add some flavor. And so you can get that there each week. Head on over. Put in your email over at clippingchains.com. It is free. You can unsubscribe at any time. All right, guys. I hope you have a fantastic week. See you next time.